Today is sermon number three of three on prayer. The title of the lesson today is What Did Jesus Pray For? We're looking to him as our example, and we're using the previous couple of sermons to see that we really kind of need his example to understand what to pray for and how to pray. Uh, I have, uh, in, in summary of the first couple of lessons, I have told you a few things that I think are pretty simple. Number one, that prayer is conversation with God. I think we should know that, but I think we need to remind ourselves is prayer isn't some kind of necessarily a formula I have to do or go through. Prayer is me speaking with God. It is us having a conversation with God. And since we don't hear his voice, a literal, physical voice, airway, you know, sound waves coming through the air and hitting our ear and we can't respond back to him. We, we, our conversation with him is we seek him out in the word, we hear him speak to us in his word, and so we have to meditate on this word, study it, read it, know it, and if we have his word on our lips and in our minds constantly, if we're able to, to speak it, even when we're driving or walking or even eating, we can have that word in our thoughts, then we are, it's, it enables us to enter into conversation with him in a greater way. So as we meditate on the word of God, it will bring forth prayer. He starts the conversation, we enter into it, and we work together. We have that conversation. That helps us to be able to fulfill the command in 1 Thessalonians five seventeen to pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. We'll just continually live this life of prayer. I also opposed then last week in sermon number two that, that as we enter into conversation with him, that a lot of times there is this sense of urgency that we notice something is not right. Since we have read God's word, we know God's word, we understand how things ought to be, sometimes we see things that are wrong and we have to petition God. We call upon him and just beg for his help. We ask him to step in and do something to rectify the situation because that's who God is. We mess things up. We call upon God and ask him to work with us and through us and sometimes even outside of us to come step in and do something to fix things, to salvage things, to save, to deliver. So those are the ideas that we have looked at about prayer. And since I pose that sometimes we really have this sense of urgency and great need. And that's what leads us into prayer. Just like Moses, when God said, I'm going to destroy these people, I'm going to start over, I'll raise up another nation for, with you. Moses steps in and says, no, don't do it. Well, Moses knew God's plan. He understood what God should do in raising the nation and the ramifications that would take place if God did destroy his children out there in the wilderness. And so he stepped in to pray for something. He stepped in with this sense of urgency. He knew something ought to be fixed or not happened, needed some help in some way. We need to be bold and pray like that. But the question comes then, well, what should I be praying like that? How should I be praying? What is the particular topic that should evoke me to go before God and say, God, please, I come humbly before you to help this situation. When should we do that? When should we have that kind of boldness before God? 
and saying, this is broke, it needs fixed. When should we do that? And so let's turn to Jesus and consider some examples. Number one. Uh, this is a, I'm going here because that we just studied through Hebrews not too long ago. And this has led us into uh, the study of meditation, prayer, and next week fasting. Uh, a lot of it kind of stems from what we were studying in Hebrews. So Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 7. And this is speaking of Jesus. It says, in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. So here is an example of Jesus who pray, had prayer and supplication. You know, this kind of this picture, he's talking with God, but it's not just a, a little chat with God. He's going to his father and saying, please, father, loud crying in tears. He knew the one able, as it says in the New American Standard, able to save him from death. We know this situation, don't we? We know that event that this was looking back to. As the writer of Hebrews was thinking about a particular event in the life of Christ, and we can turn there to Luke 22. And we see this example of prayer. When Jesus needed help. When Jesus turned to the Father and was crying out to him. So I want to read this entire passage because we're going to learn a lot of things here and a couple of the next points come from this passage. So join me in Luke 22, verse 39. It says, And he came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And this is right after the Lord's Supper, right after the, the Passover meal in the upper room. And the disciples also followed him. Verse 40, When he arrived in the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. So he's, we're going to come back to this point in a second. He's telling his disciples to pray. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. So that gives you a little indication of the dire nature of this circumstance, even though it hasn't outright said it yet. But verse 44 is clear then. There's a reason why that angel had to come strengthen him. 44 says, And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When he rose from prayer... He came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow and said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. All right, so here is Jesus in the garden. You know from the other accounts that this prayer, him going to the Father three times, to say to his father, if you are willing, let this cup pass from me. 
If you, and if you study that out, you'll understand that that cup that he was, was being handed him to drink was the cup of the wrath of God for sin. He was about to go through and experience the punishment for sin on that cross. Not for his sin, but for ours. And there was something very, very dreadful about that. Something very agonizing about that. And it meant the end of it was going to be death. And so, as we think about Hebrews 5-7, notice it says that in that passage that Jesus prayed to his Father who was able to save him. The Father is able to save. We need, when we're in dire circumstances, when death is knocking at the door, we need to be praying to the Father for salvation, for saving, for life. Now, as I apply this to us then, it's a spiritual application to us. Jesus, his application was spiritual and physical. But ultimately, the Father didn't save him. You know from this, the whole context here is that Jesus prayed, yet not my will, but yours be done. The Father and the Son chose to go through that action together. They chose that hard path that Jesus wanted removed from him. He didn't want to go through it, but he prayed and he gave in to the will of the Father. So he wasn't saved from sin. He wasn't saved from the death that came from having that sin. He wasn't saved from physical death on that cross. But a point, the point is he prayed to the one, Hebrews 5, 7, the one who was able to save him. And so the point for us is this, is that we need to cry out and call to the one who is able to save us. And he will. We will call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Now, some might argue maybe this is a one-time prayer at salvation. You never have to go through this kind of prayer again. But I am praying constantly for God's grace and salvation in my life. So if you disagree with me kind of on the finer point of this point, then so be it. But I, I say that we need to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And we need to continue to call upon the name of the Lord for our salvation. So it's definitely a first time, first, there is a first instance of this, and it is mentioned in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse number 21, quoting from the prophet that it says, And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let us call out to God. Calling out to him is a prayer, it is a conversation, it is an urgent need because of our own sin. We need salvation from the only one who can give it. We can't do anything about it ourselves but to call upon him to fix our problem with sin. We call upon him. It's a prayer, it's a request. 
It is, and, and it's much like if you're familiar with the sinner's prayer, I, I don't have a big issue with the sinner's prayer in and of itself. We have to call upon the name of the Lord. He is the only one who can save us. And I do have contentions with the fact that many who promote a, that something called the sinner's prayer is that they leave out the requirements of that calling upon the name of the Lord, what you shall do next, which is verse 38 of Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. You've got to be immersed into him. Call upon his name. Pray. You're prayerful to God. When you come and step into these waters, it is, you're in prayer with God that moment. You're conversing with him. God, I need you. I have messed up my life in every single way. And there is nothing for me to do except say, I'm lost. Father, save me. Through your son, Jesus Christ. Repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for as many the Lord our God will call to himself. He calls us, and we call back to him. Conversation, isn't it? Acts chapter 4, flip a page, Acts chapter 4, verse number 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that that has been given among men by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus. Call upon that name. Jesus, save me. Lord God, save me. So that is a prayer. That is something that we need to be prayerful about we need to be calling upon the name of our savior we need to be constantly looking to him as our redeemer our savior so be prayer you want to know what to be prayerful about pray for god's grace pray for forgiveness pray for god to save us even though we don't deserve it pray pray I think that should be a constant prayer. Number two, as we flip back to Luke chapter 22. Well, and actually I've got a couple points to go to here. But this point that you'll see in point number two, something that Jesus prayed for. Jesus prayed that that he not enter into temptation. This was a tricky one for me. I was like, this is kind of fell into this. It wouldn't have been one of my original points, but then I saw it, and it seems to make sense to me. He prayed that he not enter into temptation. Well, you look at at, uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Jesus told his disciples, Peter, James, and John, from the other accounts, you know it's them, those three, Peter, James, and John, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Verse 46, and he said to them, after he had done the three times prayer back and forth with God, and he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. These are commands for, he gave the command for them to not enter into temptation. But look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Consider this, Hebrews 4, 15. It says, for we do not have a high priest, obviously speaking of Jesus, this is going to be, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are. 
yet without sin. Jesus was tempted in every way that we are tempted, yet without sin. So I'd ask myself, well, uh, it just doesn't seem like Jesus really was tempted a lot, was he? Remember that, in the, you know, the, the devil came out to him in the wilderness after the 40 days of fasting. Um, you know, he was tempted there, Jesus. He came to tempt Jesus. Really just doesn't seem like he it was that much of a temptation, was it, you know? But those things were great temptations. But I would also then allude, my mind would jump to the passage that we said, the Garden of Gethsemane. We know this was an agonizing time. We know that the Father said, you got to do this. And Jesus was saying, oh, can I go this way? Folks, that's temptation. God says, do this. And it's like, no, I feel like I'd rather do this. You go this way? No, I'd rather go that way. Just like the story of Jonah. Go to Nineveh. And he went the other direction. That, you know... Jesus was acknowledging that this was, in my mind, from Scripture, this is, and I think those, the Luke chapter 3 stuff, those, or chapter 4, where it doesn't matter, you know, out in the wilderness, 40 days of fasting, I think those were great temptations, but this seems to be the temptation. He could have called 10,000 angels. It was there. It was an option. He could have done it. He could have gone the other direction from the Father's will. But yet he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And that prayer that Jesus, when he said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. And he said it with agonizing tears and pleas and cries to God. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. As he is breaking, as he is bleeding drops of blood. It is such an intense moment that he just... We can't, I don't think we can imagine how intense that temptation was. And we think we're tempted. But gee, that's, that's difficult, what he went through. He was tempted. Could anybody say he wasn't tempted there? Would you not agree with me? It seems like this is probably the greatest temptation he faced in his whole walk here on this earth. And right before he entered into that prayer... He told his disciples, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then when he came with, away from there, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He had just served as the example of somebody who was living out what he calls us to do. Pray that you don't enter into temptation. You've, we have got to be praying, and that's what Jesus was doing in that moment when he was saying, not my will, but yours be done. How often do we pray that we don't enter into temptation? How often are we involved in meditating on God's word so that we can have that strength to pray, that strength to overcome? Jesus was praying that he not enter into temptation. Number three, stemming from this passage, we've already mentioned it, an easy point. Something else we need to pray. Jesus 
prayed for the Father's will to be done. Connected with that is the obvious thing, and that's probably the harder part, is to actually say, not my will, but yours be done. As long as we can get over serving ourselves, then giving ourselves to the Father's will is actually fairly easy. But man, you've got to get past that first part first. And they're both involved in this prayer. For the Father's will to be done, let me not seek my own will. Let me seek the Father's will. Luke twenty-two, forty-two. Jesus prayed for the Father's will to be done. In his sample prayer, um, his example prayer, uh, and you can find that, you know, the disciples asked him at one point how to pray. Well, it's only a page away, isn't it? Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. Matthew 6.10 in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus was teaching them how to pray, said uh, to pray that thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Very simple aspect of how we should be praying. We should be praying for God's will to be done, not our will to be done. And I think that's a very important <laughs> aspect of this idea of praying in faith we're not praying for our will to be done we're praying for the father's will to be done we're getting out of the way letting god's will be done be a part of that jesus was an example of praying for the father's will to be done and aligning his life with that so these are important these are huge points these are things that we have to have in our minds constantly i think number one is We should be praying to the one who can save us, praying for salvation, praying for his grace and mercy to be extended to us, and thanking him at the same time that it has been. Number two, we need to pray that we enter not into temptation. We need to pray that the Father's will be done. And now number four, Jesus prayed for others. Luke 22, the same opening in my Bible at least. Verse number 32 So this is right before the Garden of Gethsemane scene. Verse 32 says, um, and this is Jesus speaking to Peter. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, once you have been turned again, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter was about to become Simon again. He was about to revert to his old life. And Jesus said, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your faith. I'm praying for you that you'll be able to do what you need to do for others. He was praying at this point specifically for Peter. And in a way, he's praying for others too. Because he says, I want you to to be full of faith. I want you to repent and come back to the way I want you to live and following me. So that you can encourage others to do it. I'm praying for them too. Pray for others. And then in Luke 23, verse number 34, a great example of Jesus praying for others. On the cross, as they were mocking him, beating him, spitting at him, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. One of the greatest prayers ever, isn't it? Jesus, his concern for others. Praying for 
others. Jesus prayed for others. Seems like others is all he really cared about as he gave up his own life to die for our stupidity, our rebellion against him, our faithlessness. Our, he, he died for us that while we were sinners, he went to that cross for us. Jesus prayed for others. So aren't these some interesting things that, from the life of Jesus? And these are just examples. There's so many other things Jesus prayed for. I'm going to hit just one more of them, but just think about this. Really kind of all wrapped around this scene at the garden, encouraging us to think about what we pray for. And I'm not saying don't pray about the little things, but there are some things that rise up to a greater magnitude in our lives and in our thoughts when we understand the word of God and how we are living to please him and to do his will. Number one, Jesus prayed to his father who was able to save him. I think we need to pray to the father, pray for the Lord Jesus Christ to save us. Number two, we need to pray that we enter not into temptation. We need to pray for the father's will to be done. We need to be like Jesus and pray for others. And number five, just one more example, um, I turn to the book of John. Start turning to John chapter 17. Some, I, yeah, my, my Bible entitles this at the beginning of John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. An intercessory prayer, Jesus going to the Father and praying for others, us. Praying, and in particular, he goes, he speaks first, he's praying for his apostles, and then he starts praying for believers, and he prays even in the midst of this, um, it, towards the end, what we're going to be looking at, he prays for me and you. So, it's funny, in the book of John, it doesn't use ever the word prayer. <laughs> the, you look through the gospel, you know, we're looking at um, Luke 22, in that passage we read, it was like prayer, pray, 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 pray. He prayed, and he prayed for them. Don't, you know, enter into prayer. So, you know, it's um, five or six times it's in there in that short little passage. You go through the book of John, the word prayer is never used. But here is um, one of the most important prayers that was ever given. Uh, I think it, to me, I, I, I label it as, the, you know, it's the high priestly prayer. I agree with that. It just, it just resonates with me, the great desire of Jesus for the Father's will to be done. And this is what he prayed for. Notice in verse 17, or chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. This is before he's crucified. So this is not far removed from the Garden of Gethsemane. In my mind, I believe this is probably right before, uh, before the Garden, as you see that play out in, um, in, in verse number 18, or chapter 18, I'm sorry. So here is something that's on his mind that is so important to him before he goes to the cross. And there's so much in here. It's so beautiful as he prays for his apostles and he prays for those who believe in their word. Verse number 20, we get to this. And the words right before this, it's talking about the word of truth, God's word, that all that, that believers would be sanctified, set apart by that word. You know, 
And then verse number 20. It says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, speaking of his apostles, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The high priestly prayer is, it's for the disciples, for the, the 12 apostles, that they would just do their job relying upon him and be one with Christ, one with the Father, be united in the word that has been given to them so they can share that truth with others, the truth about Jesus, and that as they share that truth, then others would believe, and that those others, when they believe, that they would be united, that they would be one with Christ, one with each other, one with Jesus. Verse 21, that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. The church, all Christians, anybody who claims the name of, the, of Christ Jesus is supposed to be one in Christ, set apart in the truth. And this is Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross, before he dies. He, that's, that's all he wants to achieve is that, that I'm about to die for these people. I pray that when they believe in me that they'd all be one. When they come to me that they would be one. And there's a reason I need these believers to be one is because when they're one, that end, he ends verse 21 with this. He says, so that the world, so that the world may believe that you sent me. If we are one, then that is going to be the opportunity for others to look and see and believe that Jesus truly is the Christ. And now what does that mean if we're not one? You think about Christianity. Is Christianity one? Or is Christianity divided? Well, a lot of people would claim that, oh yeah, it looks like we're divided, but we're really one. Well, no, we're divided. Christianity, people who claim to believe in, the, in Christ Jesus, they have divided themselves and given them different names, and they claim, you know, well, we believe this, and you're wrong, and you believe that, so you're wrong, and... And blah, 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 and they're wrong, and no, we're right, so we're going to make sure everybody knows we're right by giving ourselves this name, and we're a part of this, and this is our doctor, and everybody else is wrong. Well, it, that, that's been the history of Christianity, of the Reformation movement. Names, 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 follow him, follow that, follow the other thing. Well, folks, we just need to be united in Christ Jesus, united in truth, not the doctrines of men. We can't align ourselves with any other name than the name of Jesus Christ. That is why who we are is special. We need, this is something we need to return to praying for, and it's kind of dummied down in our culture now because Christians everywhere, well, you know, instead of saying... We're right and they're wrong. It has come, well, we believe this. And even though we have this particular name, those people over there, they believe that. And they're okay, too. We're not going to judge them. That's what it's boiled down to nowadays. That's not, that's not how it used to be, is it? 
You look back at history, hey, they're right. Oh, excuse me, we're right, they're wrong, they're going to hell, we're going to heaven. We have to differentiate, make sure that we're towing the line according to whoever says what this particular verse means. Folks, we, we can't rely upon the doctors of men. We need to learn to look at the doctrine of truth. Verse 17 in that passage says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We trust the word of God. We give ourselves over to it. We can't give ourselves to following after some person, some denominational teaching. We follow God's word. Yep, we might have some differences of opinion on what this word says, and we've got to work on that, come together and talk about it and discuss it and figure it out. But we are going to trust the truth. His word is truth. Verse 17. Verse 19, for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. Truth is important in this culture. It's like truth, who cares about truth? You can do what you want. You can believe what you want. As long as you claim the name of Jesus, you can go to heaven. Say the name to get in free card. That's all you have to do. No, we have to be sanctified in the truth. And Jesus was praying for this before he went to the cross. This is one of the things that is most dear to him is that we be one. And it's not just us be one. Yes, it is us here at Garrett Street, whether we're here in person, whether we're online. We need to be one, yes. We need to be all sanctified in truth, be united in Christ Jesus. But all Christians everywhere need to be one. We need to be united in Christ. And denominational creeds, denominational names do not achieve that. And Jesus calls us to be praying for the unity of the church. We've got an opportunity in a couple weeks to be leaders in the city, uh, in this area, this community, to enter into a prayer service inviting just all Christians. Anybody who claims the name of Christ, come together, let's pray. We can do that. Let's encourage unity. Let's encourage people to put aside names. Let's encourage people to be united in the truth of Jesus Christ. And there's a reason for it. There's a lost world out there. People all around us who are lost. And probably a lot of them in the church and in denominations. And a lot of lost people who think they're going to heaven. Because they've claimed the name of Jesus. Well, we need to be sanctified by truth. We need to be praying for this. We need to be united in the truth. We need to be united so that the world may believe. There's nothing that causes atheism more, in my opinion, than a bunch of people who claim to follow Jesus, but they're divided, hate each other, argue, fight. Let us speak the truth in love. We need to be praying about that. We need to remember that there is a, a calling that, is, that, that we have as we follow simple, authentic faith. Just look and hear. We have something to invite people and it can save people. Let us be praying for that. Let us be the church of the New Testament. 
Let us not be the church of any person, any personality, any whatever it might be. Let's just follow Jesus. Let's encourage others to do the same. Now next week, I encourage you to fill up this pulpit. So I'll be forced to set that timer and not go long again. But hey, this topic, we could go on for a little while here. I think we need to revisit this more often than I have been doing so. Jesus' church, build on the truth, the foundation of Christ, turning and, and seeking all things in Scripture and not doctrines of men. That's who we are. It's what we must be praying for. But all these things are important in prayer. They're examples of prayers that Jesus gave And there are things that we have got to consider to be praying about more. Believe the word of God. Believe in Jesus Christ who drank from the cup of wrath of God for our sins, for your sins. Jesus did that. He did what he did not want to do, but for the joy before him he endured it. It wasn't the joy of going through it. It was the joy that was out there before him, saving the world from her sins, saving you from your sins. That's why Jesus did it. He was thinking of you. So be immersed into him, the one who died for you, and be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins and live according to the Father's will. That's the call to all of us as Christians is we're going to give in to his will. That's what determines what we're praying for. We're looking at his will and we're praying for those things. So pray without ceasing and pray for the things that Jesus prayed for. If you need to respond in any way, you make sure today is the day to do it. You need to respond. Don't delay. Catch me after service. Let's live a life of faith. Let's live for Jesus. We'll now remember Christ Jesus our Lord in this Lord's Supper.